All right, here we go. It is uh, episode 75 of a brand new Stick to Hockey Live. Jason Bertitas, along with from the fourth period, thefourthperiod.com, at ADeMarco25 on Twitter. There he is, Anthony DeMarco. What's going on, Ant? Cold up in Canada? Uh, yeah, it's pretty cold. You know, this is always a, a troubling thing with us because we're in Celsius and you're in Fahrenheit. So when I tell you stuff, I don't know if you know what the fuck it means. <laughs> so <laughs> that that's the whole issue we run into. But today it is minus three Celsius. So whatever that is in Fahrenheit, that's uh, that's how cold it is here. Yeah, we're about 30 degrees Fahrenheit. So I don't know what that is in Celsius, but it's yeah, it's know, pretty let's... chilly. Um, and it's pretty blustery and windy. Uh, So you guys, it's 30 degrees. So it's about, it's almost the same thing actually. So here it's 26 for you guys. Okay. Yeah. So we're, we're relatively close. Uh, Yours is going to consistently and get rapidly much worse (laughs) for the most part, uh, than ours will, but, um, it's hockey season. I was walking out of the rink last night, um, walking out to the parking lot to, to head home and torch is pulling out in his truck. He rolls out his window. He goes, it's cold. I go, it's winter. (laughs) (laughs) it's supposed to be cold uh but you know what's cold ant let's start here in this episode uh goal scoring has gone really cold now during the five game win streak the flyers averaged uh what over four goals a game they scored 22 goals in the five games now all of a sudden they've scored four goals in four games and they have a record of one and three in those games. Oddly enough, the game where they technically didn't score a goal, they won because they won it in the shootout with Forster. Uh, but one goal a game ain't going to cut it. And even though Konechny got his 12th last night, this is going to be a scoring by committee team, and the committee is not in session. Yeah, I mean, then that's kind of what was to be expected of this team, along with a poor defense. But the defense has overachieved by a wide margin but what we're seeing now is that the offense is really showing what it is and that's an offense with except with the exception of Travis Konechny you don't really have a top line player on this team like I think Joel Farabee's had a really nice season Owen Tippett has been streaky started off cold went through a nice stretch maybe now back in a cold stretch Couturier I think has been pretty good for him for what we were expecting him to be after missing how many months what was it uh, almost 24 months of play and even Atkinson, but, you know, those guys aren't offensive gym machines in terms of generating. But I think you've seen some disappointments. So like, obviously, Bobby Brink has been up and down. Morgan Frost has been in and out of the lineup. Pretty big regression for Scott Lawton this season. I know a lot of people were responding to my tweet um, about what we'd want to talk about. And is Scott Lawton playing hurt? I think a lot of it has to do with him playing down the middle so much this season, which we know has always limited his offense. But uh the cream eventually rises to the top, and I think that's what we're seeing with the offense right now. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at some of the guys that you need to score. You know, Atkinson's got the eight goals, um, but he's you know not. The thing is about Atkinson, I, I just don't even see many great chances lately. Mm-hmm. And with Tippett, the one thing we talked about that he needed in his progression as an NHL player was more finish and and getting pucks on net. Um, he's got a, his shooting percentage is ten. If he could get that shooting percentage like. 13 and a half to 14 and a half. And he's, you know, a 35 plus goal scorer, uh, but it's always residing at 10. I don't know if he just is trying to too hard to be perfect and pick a corner and he's missing the net too much or, or what it is. Well, he's always been a volume shooter and that has been kind of a hallmark of his going back to his time in the OHL. 
And I, I think with Tippett, he just tries to get the puck on the net as much as possible. And then eventually they will start to go in. And, but I don't think that he's someone, because he has an underrated shot, in my opinion. I think that with his size, he could take it to the net more than he does. And he doesn't always have to shoot it from distance. And I think if he uses his size and his speed to power his way to more dangerous areas, we will see him maybe translating that <clears throat> that. Uh, that volume shooting into a higher shooting percentage, like you said, because right now the chances are there, but I mean, you'd even like to see his overall process tick up a bit. Uh, He still is process wise has been one of the better forwards this season, but I think that overall with the talent that he has, you would expect it to be a bit, bit more. And we've seen him be capable of more as well. Yeah. We've kind of heard that same terminology when it comes to Tyson Forster, um, who the Flyers need to get some goals from as well. He's got the one goal that uh, was the power play goal against Vegas, and he has the shootout one, which I guess technically doesn't count as a goal on his ledger for this season. Uh, but they need to get more offense out of Tyson Forster as well. I know he's been good in the other areas and structurally and those kind of things, uh, but you know those things have to be part of his game along with the goal scoring. Like the, We almost took, I guess, the goal scoring element with him for granted and it just hasn't happened this year. And it's great that he's playing good in other zones and he'll have to carry that when he is scoring goals, but he's got to get the scoring goals. When this team's averaging a goal a game, I mean, that you're not going to win in the NHL scoring one goal. You're not going to win a lot in the NHL scoring just two goals. It's a race to four league. Yeah, and, and uh, they've been happy with Tyson Forster's game, but obviously you want the goal scoring to come. He only has that one goal in the season. And right, he only he still is only sitting at one goal, correct? Yeah, yeah, just the one against Vegas. Exactly. And even that was kind of like a bang bang play. Like it wasn't just like a snipe, like a goal scorer's goal, that cliche that we hear. Yeah. But but you look at the chances he's generating, like shots four per sixty, he's top five on the team. He has the highest expected goals four per sixty. And then you look at the defensive side of the puck. And you can make the case that like he's been one of their, if not their best consistently defensive players by a lot of these underlying metrics. But again, like it's good that he's being responsible. It's good that he's a net positive player pretty much every shift. But at the same time, because of his pedigree, because of his talent, you eventually want him to translate some of that play into actual tangible offense and i do think that maybe like getting him on a power play giving him more of those opportunities would help a lot but you see this guy uh, like a like a big winner with a with a winger with a hell of a shot and he doesn't really have that facilitator down the middle of the ice to play with more times than not the only forward or centerman that they have right now who can maybe fit that mold is morgan frost and he's been in and out of the lineup like he almost game the game and stretch to stretch. So, I mean, obviously with Noah Cates out of the uh, out of uh, out of the lineup for the foreseeable future, it will mean more of Morgan Frost. But I, I do think the fact that the Flyers don't really have a creative player up the middle of the ice has hurt a guy like Tyson Forrester and maybe prevented him from getting more of those uh, that, those dangerous looks for a shooter of his uh, talent. You know, it's funny because in the league, when you look at the top teams in the NHL, the teams that like I look at them and go, okay, this is a team that's in that upper crust. There's a lot of murky middle teams in this league right now because with 32 teams, but that upper crust, you look at the teams, you know, like Boston or like, uh, you know, the Rangers, the teams at the top of the standings and really can do something. They're all the teams that allow the fewest amount of goals per game. 
know, like the Kings allow the least amount of goals per game at 2.37. Vegas is number two. The Rangers, number three. Vancouver, who's off to a great start uh, at 15-7-1, are number four. Florida, number five. Like that, That's not a mistake uh, that those top teams also give up the least amount of goals. Uh, the Flyers are 11th in that regard, allowing just 2.82 goals per game. So let's talk about the D because – and there, there was obviously the subtraction of Provorov, and I think the thought process, uh, myself included, was, okay, who's going to fill the minutes that Provorov played on a top pair and also have to deal with the opposition top line uh, most of the night? And we go, okay, I don't know if that it's going to have to be by committee, but it hasn't been by committee. It's been Travis Sanheim, and I know he was on the ice for all four goals last night. I, I can't really pin any of the goals actually on him. Um, even though he was on the ice last night. But I look at it and I go, well, they're better defensively without Provorov here. Why is that? It's very interesting, honestly. Like with Sanheim playing as well as he has in a number one role, and I think he's actually, he may be leading the NHL in ice time. I'm not sure if that's a real stat, but he's played 415 minutes at five on five this season, which is absolutely bananas. And that's not even accounting for the special teams. But I think that it's obviously you you've seen some guys come in here, notably Sean Walker, and do really well in, I guess, depth roles. But you can't even say Walker has been in a depth role. He's kind of been like their their number two defenseman in a lot of ways, maybe splitting that role with Cam York. But I think it's more just everyone buying into what the coaches and the team is selling. And I think with Ivan Provorov, he didn't buy in. It was always someone else's fault. He was forcing plays. He wanted to be a player that he maybe wasn't with a, you know, a, worrying about point totals and getting that power play time. And, and sorry, do you hear that motorcycle outside? It's absolutely so loud right now. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a chainsaw. Yeah, it might be a chainsaw. Actually. I don't know what the hell they're doing. Um. Anyway, I'm really sorry. Um. But, uh, I think it's a lot to do with just buying what the team is selling and playing the role that you're being asked to play. And I think Sanheim's been asked to play. This thing is really getting on my fucking nerves. <laughs> getting asked to play the right side on a top pair. Now get those power play times. Sean Walker arguably playing the biggest role in his career as like a number three. Nick Sealer playing up the lineup. Cam York finally getting a chance on the top power play unit and on the top or not on the top pairing. And uh, I think that you've basically gotten a lot of those problem childs out of the way. And it, uh, hold on, I'm, I'm going to move downstairs. Okay. Oh, no, you're all right. This guy said you can't hear anything on the stream. So no worries. It's not coming. Oh, through. okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Perfect. I thought you said that yeah. he couldn't hear anything. No, 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 no. The mic will pick up. That's a unidirectional mic. It won't pick up a lot of ambient sound. So that's good. Okay. Um, but yeah, all that to say, I think it's just yeah. a lot of what the play, it, it has to do a lot with the players just buying into the rules that they've been given. Yeah. I, and I think that, you know, a lot of us didn't know a lot about Sean Walker. He fits what they're trying to do this year as compared to what they did last year a lot. He fits it very well in the way he defends and the way he moves in transition and gets the puck up the ice in transition. Um, and you look at the Flyers D and it's, to me, it's markedly better. It's also the five man unit. But they also, you know, they'll fly the zone like they did last year. I, I, I think that this year, well, now it's coming through. Yeah. I, I could actually, I could probably move downstairs if you could hold the fort for a bit here. Yeah, I'll hold the fort. Go ahead. <laughs> that is crazy. Um, but the thing is, 
and I'll just continue to talk why Anthony migrates to the uh, other floor in the, in the domicile is this team defends so much better because they're on offense, but more often too. And even though they haven't scored goals um, and averaging only one goal per game in the last four, um, they still are on attack way more. So um, they defend less and defending less. A lot of times will make you defend better and more effectively. And they still get hemmed in like a team like Carolina hemmed them in a few times last night. And they're a team that um, kind of controls the puck, control the puck, control the game. And Carolina is probably one of the, certainly one of the top three puck possession teams in the entire NHL. Uh, but, um, you know, dealing with uh, a team like that, dealing with the Rangers as well. You saw some of those uh, breakdowns in the D zone, but but those things are going to happen in a season where you're going to have breakdowns and you're going to pay the price. Um, when you look at the D2 ant, you know, th- there's a couple of questions here. First of all, D usage on the power play. Um, we're seeing Sean Walker there. To me, he's just not a power play player. I just don't know that. I don't know that he's ever done it at, at that level. Certainly not in LA with Drew Doughty. He was the number one power play guy. But when, you know, Cam York is not getting any power play time, you know, and they're putting, I, I get putting Sandheim out there maybe on power play too, but why are they not using Cam York on, on the power play, which has been obviously an enormous struggle? It's it's a very curious decision because even Travis Sandheim, for as good as he's been, I've never found him to be a particularly great power play player. Like I find the offense that he brings and the impact he brings is in transition. And on the power play, it's very stationary, right? Zone to zone. And I think that's even why he's never excelled as like, except until maybe this season as a penalty kill defenseman. So I, I get having him as a secondary option, Travis Sanheim, but you know, you, you mentioned Sean Walker, obviously guys like Nick Sealer and Mark Stahl and now Rasmus Ristolainen or Igor Zamula. None of those guys are going to be power play options. Maybe Ristolainen if you play him down low in, in front of the net. But I, I mean, I don't know why Cam York isn't on the power play here. And I could understand that he's not even an ideal quarterback. And I think that this is maybe where, and I know a lot of people are going to get mad at me for saying this is that the one thing about Ivan Provov that they probably missed from that back end is his shot. I know he wasn't good at quarterback in the power play and facilitating the puck, but one thing that he had, and we saw in 1920, is that he could really get shots on net, oftentimes leading to goals on the man advantage. But I have no idea why Cam York isn't being used on the power play. It's really low-hanging fruit that he should be there. I've heard that he's one of the guys that Torts really goes after hard and really tries to engage with like that back and forth and really challenge Cam York. So maybe mm-hmm. this is kind of a tough love thing. But uh, I'll be honest with you, you know, with the power play as putrid as it is, I think that at a certain point you just have to do what's best for the team. And what's best for the team is probably using Cam York in that role. Yeah. Th- you know, there's like we wonder about Cam York sometimes. Is, is, there, is there a lot of, uh, you know, ass in his game? Is, is he a guy that is going to compete at, at that top level to maximize his skill set? And, and I think, you know, I think towards probably, and a lot of coaches do, they kind of find a guy or two and they're really hard on them to get them to break through the the barrier. And sometimes it's just being, you know, kind of being a prick and, and having that guy, you know, come back at you and almost, you know, tell you to fuck off. And that's a good thing, you know, where the coach is like, okay, there's something in there. Let's go. Like, yeah. Yeah, give me, show me that battle. Show me that, 
you know, willful intent. And with your, I remember asking Torts about this probably two or three weeks ago on Hockey and Hounds. I said, you know, is there a killer in there in Cam York? And he said, um, he said, I hope so, because if not, he's going to always leave you wanting more. That's the one thing I worry, I wonder about him. Yeah. And, you know, I think one of the things for all of the faults that a guy like Ivan Provorov had, I think one thing that Torts really respected about Ivan Provorov was that there was a killer in there. And there was a guy who would fight for every inch of the ice and someone who wanted to be the best all the time. First guy in the gym, last guy out of the gym, ditto for on the ice practice, work ethic and all that. And that's not to say that Cam York's lazy by any stretch, but I do think that if you want to be that top dog, that top power play guy, you have to be have bit of that. It sounds kind of cliche, but that killer instinct. And if you want to be playing against the the top competition on other teams night in, night out, you have to be willing to face some adversity and try and want more. Because Cam York, I, I don't think it's a stretch to say, is probably their most skilled defenseman. Even with as good as Travis Sanheim's playing, uh, like I've said, I think his game come where his strengths come more with moving the puck, transition play, all that, you know, getting around the ice, covering it all up. But from a stationary uh, perspective, I think Cam York far and away is their most talented guy. And he really has to help that power play because Sean Walker, Travis Sanheim, they're not going to be an- the answer. The answer is certainly not long term to do so. Yeah, he's, you know, you look at York, he's got a lot of composure to his game. He doesn't panic. It's a very calm, low heart rate style of play. And I think the part of it, too, is, you know, you mentioned like Provorov can get shots through on the power play. I, I think that was also a benefit of having a power play that ran off the half wall because yeah. that opens up the point. I, the, my issue now is I don't know if you can get shots through the point because I don't know if the intended purpose is to run it through the point or run it through the half wall because, you know, I don't Do they have a player that can run it off the half wall? Maybe Brink is your best guy or Frost to run it off the half wall. But still, that's totally unproven. and then. You know, one affects the other when predictability is the enemy of offense. <laughs> you know well, what I mean? Well, that's the problem is that you, you don't have a guy on the back end who could get big shots through because Ivan yep. Provorov is gone and Goss beer, obviously year three that he's gone and Sanheim and York aren't those guys. And your best like strategy is to use the passing abilities of York and Sanheim as left shooters at the top to set up the big shots that you have from some right shooters on the left side, whether that be a Tyson Forster, whether that be an Owen Tippett, maybe Brink is more of a facilitator, but it's kind of predictable because they have so many guys that are the same handedness and play theoretically the same role on the power play. Even Cam Atkinson is a guy that would be on that left half wall as well. Travis Konechny, although he's totally redundant. It's very redundant. And, you look at trying to f- work it off the other half wall with, you know, ideally a left shot guy. I don't think Farabee's that guy. Lawton shouldn't be on the power play. Couturier on the power play has always been better in that like high slot Scott Hartnell type of position or down low in front of the net. So I think it has become redundant and predictable just because that they don't have the talent. And I think it's because you don't have a guy to work it off the right half wall as a left shooter. You don't have a guy who get, can get a big shot through from the point and all your right shooters are, or all your big shooters are on have are right shots. So teams could just load off on load up on that side of the ice. Yeah. And it just, you do you just, we don't see any progress there either. And I think that it's deflating when you're a team that's struggling to score and all of a sudden, you know, your power play doesn't give you 
even a lot of good looks, then to me that makes everybody on the team and the team struggling to score um, squeeze a little bit harder. You know, it's funny. I said this on Flyers Daily. Um, not scoring goals and guys drying up is contagious. Just just like scoring goals can be contagious and everybody everybody gets on the board and everybody eats, it's the opposite too. When a team is struggling, they don't have that one guy that is kind of recession-proof from scoring yeah. on this team. I don't know if Cutter Goche is going to be that guy at the NHL, at least not initially, um, but you hope that he's one of those guys that even when the team isn't putting the puck in the net, he still finds a way to put the puck in the net. They need that. Yeah, they need a guy who could come in and just score from distance and decide that, you know what, this puck is going in now. And to, to yeah. go back on the power play quickly, like I, I didn't even mention Morgan Frost as a creative left shooter just because he hasn't been in the lineup enough but like if it were me running the power play and obviously no one's ever going to ask me for my opinion but like now that he is going to presumably be in the in the lineup each and every night with Noah Cates out I would have him on the right half wall I would actually probably put wrist in at the top because he does have that big shot and for as bad as he played in Buffalo over the years he did have a lot of success on the power play and he has a hard shot from the from the top put Konechny in the high slot um as a right shooter and then maybe a guy like Forster on the on the other half wall so then you have a good facilitator in Morgan Frost your most creative left-handed uh, forward with three options to set up for one timers and then in front of the net you probably put Sean Couturier as he can do that tripod mood move as a left shooter so for me that's the way I would look at it and it makes the most sense given the talent you have at your disposal and all the the handedness. But obviously, you're hoping that guy like Cutter Goatsy could be that guy who come in, be recession proof, and kind of score goals all on his own. Yeah, you need that. And then, you know, Meechkoff, but we'll talk about that at the appropriate time. And um, the latest kind of, we're getting into this time of year now. We've seen a couple of coaching changes already. Uh, obviously, you know, Jay Wilcroft got uh, zipped out in, in Edmonton. And then you see what happened in Minnesota. Uh, you're starting to see some guys. It, DJ Smith, is he in trouble in Ottawa? Um, you look at, I mean, Sheldon Keefe was all over his guys last night in Toronto. Um, but we're starting to see the time when GMs are going, okay, I'm at 25% into this season. I see what my team is. I see some things I like. I see some things I don't like. And the GMs are starting to you know, kind of squirm in their chair a little bit going, okay, how do I fix it? Is it a coaching change or is it uh, making an acquisition or a trade? And Chris Johnson put out his, uh, you know, top list of uh, trade targets. Flyers have three guys on the list. Um, Sean Walker, Morgan Frost, and Nick Sealer. Walker's number five on his list. Frost is number nine. And then Sealer is number 22. Let's take them in order. It, you know, for Walker to be at number five, is there a lot of interest around the league right now in Sean Walker? And is this trade market going to heat up pre-Christmas to the point where we see deals culminated? Or is this going to be after the trade freeze and the holiday? Look, there there is a lot of interest in Sean Walker, but this is not a guy that the Flyers are going to trade for a third or fourth round pick. And I think that's going to be a stalemate between Danny Briere and other general managers when discussing a guy like Sean Walker because he's been so damn good. And he's a right shot defenseman. Like you rewind to 2021. David Savard got traded to the Tampa Bay Lightning for a first round pick at the trade deadline. I would argue that Sean Walker right now is better than David Savard was back then. Josh Manson got traded for a first round pick in 2022 to the Colorado Avalanche. 
I would have to really go look at what John, how Josh Manson was playing. Obviously, a different style defenseman, more of like a stay-at-home Chernak wrist lion type. But you can make the case that they're maybe on par in terms of overall quality. So if you're the Philadelphia Flyers and there is already this much interest and we're not even into December yet, are you not going to stand firm and trying to get that first round pick? Like I could tell you that speaking with those around the team, like if they could get first round pick, they're going to trade Sean Walker. Yeah. But they're also considering re-signing Sean Walker because is it better to trade Sean Walker for a third and a fourth round pick or even like a second and a fifth round pick or you know, trade or, or re-sign Walker and help him be the partner to a lot, a slew of left shot defensemen who are going to be coming up through the ranks soon. And I had someone tell me this the other day is that if you look at the percentage of post first round picks who actually turn into the turn into NHLers, like it's like 16% or something like something absolutely bananas. And then if you get into the third round picks, it drops to like below 10%. I, I yeah, wish it was 3%. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I would have. I wish I would have written it down. So, I think a lot of fans get hung up on just compiling assets, and I get that, right? Like, if yeah. you have, like, let's say when you traded Zach McEwen last year, or Derek Broussard two years ago, or Justin Braun two years ago, like, yeah, you just trade them for the picks that you could get. But Sean Walker's not very old. He's proven to be a to this point a rock solid second pair defenseman. And you already have a lot of interest in him. So you're not going to trade him for pennies on the dollar. And like, I mean, it's way too early to say this, but I think in an ideal world, the Flyers would rather move on from Ristolainen and keep Sean Walker. Obviously, that'll depend with how Ristolainen plays, but he's looked pretty good so far in a reduced role. But uh, I mean, they're weighing all options with Sean Walker. And this isn't a guy that you're just going to trade for a third round pick at, you know, noon on trade deadline day like they really value this guy they like this guy they think that he could be part of the solution so if they're going to move him it's going to be for something close to a first round pick and that would put them in the three first round pick category heading into the draft exactly a couple of thoughts on that number one i know i know people go uh, i'd rather trade ristolainen but it's a much harder trade first of all ristolainen makes a lot more money so it's harder so you're limiting the amount of teams that can fit him unless you're going to retain but now you're retaining for what three years this year and two more so that's number one i i I, you know that's where i think sometimes people on social media go well trade just trade risto instead but but the cookies are not equal (laughs) and the other part the other thing and this is part of it too is the flyers are already a very small team I mean, that's, one of the that's, smallest in the league. <laughs> that's a big thing. And specifically yeah. up front, specifically up front, I mm-hmm. can tell you that they want to get bigger. Yeah. And, Five of know, their top nine last night are undersized guys. Yeah, they, they really want to get cross. bigger. Yeah. Like, like I remember I brought up the name Nick Robertson to some with the Flyers. Yeah. And he's actually been pretty good in Toronto this year. And it was right off the bat, like, no chance he's too small. They yep. want to get harder to play against and not just Hathaway, Delore, bottom six guys. I think they want those bigger guys up front to get and even on the back end. And look at the teams that have won Stanley Cups or gone to cup finals in recent years. Like the Montreal Canadiens in 2021 went to the Stanley Cup final, aside from Carey Price being absolutely heroic in the net because they had four monsters on the back end in Edmondson, Weber, Sherratt, and Petrie. You see how big the defense was for the uh, Vegas Golden Knights last year. And to touch a bit on Risto, like 
I don't think his contract is that bad as many people think, especially if he plays the way he has going back to last season, three years, $5 million. The only issue with Risto, and I had someone tell me this the other day, is that a lot of teams will be able to find defensemen who play a similar role for cheaper, like a Nikita Zadorov or a Luke Shen Mm -hmm. last year. Like you could go in and get a guy who makes that. Yeah, one to three million dollars on a shorter term deal to do that. And then they'll go out and get paid. Like Gabranta got paid, Luke Shenkai got paid this summer. But there is a value to Risto also because he is that right shot defenseman. So, uh, like, I, and this is completely speculative, depending what happens with the Calgary Flames and their pending UFAs on uh, on the back end and Chris Tanev and Nikita Zadorov and Noah Hannafan. And again, this is completely speculative. I wonder if that's a team who has had trouble to attract free agents circle back and say, okay, we need a right shot guy to play that physical role three years, $5 million because we're losing three UFA defensemen who are not going to want to commit here. So I think that there may be a, a market for Arista Linen as we progress here, but it's way too early because of a teams haven't gotten there yet, especially a team like the Calgary flames who are still trying to figure out what they are. And because Risto's only played two games this season. Yeah. Uh, and look in the lineup last night and their top nine last night here to, to grind. Th- I, I know I'm putting the carpet for the horse here when it comes to talking about playoffs, but if you want to have playoff success in the NHL, you're going to need some size up front and on the back end. And to your point, I remember seeing this tweet that in the last like 12 years, the final four teams, conference finals and and Stanley Cup final teams, the average size of their defenseman was like six, two and a half, 205 pounds. Like you Crazy. just can't make it through four rounds. Like look at Vegas last year. Same thing. These teams that get to, get to the finals, they all are big on the back end. And while you got some size with Sanheim, but he's not a he doesn't play as big as his frame is. And I'm not saying you got to kill guys. You know, I don't think a a guy like uh, Victor Hedman goes out there and kills guys. But you need to have size so you don't wear down in that situation. And last night, five of their top nine forwards, Brink, uh, Atkinson, Konechny, Joel Farabee. I mean, they're they're all small-ish guys. Like the only big guys you had are Couturier, Paling. Um, You know, there's just not a lot of size out there. So. And look, then you see a team that's struggling to score and have a hard time, you know, getting to the middle and, and crowding the blue paint. And you don't wonder why then. Well, it's because they don't have lethal shooters who can shoot from distance. Like, let's say like an Alex the Brinkat, and they don't have big guys who could bulldoze their way to the front of the net and get to those dirty areas and get those dirty goals. Yeah. Like, you know, you think about the Flyers from, you know, 15 years ago. You know, you had Jeff Carter, who was a very lethal shooter. You had Simon Gagne, who was a very lethal shooter. Danny Briere, like, had his periods where he could rip the puck from the half wall. But then you had a lot of guys who just used to bulldoze their way to the net, like a Mike Knubel, a Scott Hartnell, even a Mike Richards. You know, Dan Carcillo had a decent season here as well. Aaron Asham, like, they had a bit of everything. That's why they were able to score so much, because they could score in so many different ways. Now you have a team that doesn't really have lethal shooters and you don't really have big guys who could bulldoze their way to the net. And I think that's why a guy like Owen Tippett is someone Torts maybe wants more from and is hard on because more he power. Has, 
because yeah. he has that skill set to be a yeah. guy who could not only score the odd like snipe from you know outside of a high danger area but also use his physicality and his size and his speed to get to a more dangerous area and right in front of the net yeah i mean the, and you know the guys with size couturier forcers a decent size you mentioned Tippett um and paling they were the only guys in your top nine last night and, you know, then, I mean, the fourth line, Lawton undersized, but Delarier and Hathaway, but that's a fourth line. I'm not depending on that line to provide me my offense. Exactly. This guy messaged in and says, the Flyers don't need to increase their aggregate size. They need more skill. Well, no shit. They do decrease <laughs> their skill, but they got to get fucking bigger or you're never going to get through playoffs. I you're, think both. I think never both. Happen. See, I think that's a, a statement that, like, a lot of people fall in that trap that it's like, well, you have to be big or skilled. Why no, you don't look at look at LA? Well, look at LA and look at some of the best players in the NHL. Like, do you not know how massive Austin Matthews is? Yeah. Do you he's not got know an ass the size of a septa bus? Like, do like, you he not, is huge? Like, do you not know how strong Nylander is? Yeah. Nathan McKinnon, Miko Rontanen. Like, these are I'm not saying that you have to go out and get Ryan Reeves and stick him on the power play. That that's not <laughs> what I'm saying. Yeah. But I'm saying that. Big and good, big and skilled will always prevail over small and skilled. That's just the fact of the matter because you could play and be effective in different ways of the ice. Like Matthew Kachuk, yeah, Matt Brady Kachuk, Matthew Kachuk, like Leon Dreisaitl is a beast. Like, Mm -hmm. they're like, I'm not saying that you have to not have any small guys on your team. Like, you will always have a place for a guy like a Travis Connect, you will always have a place for a guy like Bobby Brink or Mitch Marner. Or Mitch Marner. But even Mitch Marner this year, he's struggling for his Mm -hmm. standards because he's getting boxed out from the middle of the ice and he's having trouble creating. But, I mean, that's why you you, you look at teams that have that size up front and how heavy they are up front. And I'm not saying that you only have to have those guys. They also have to be skilled. So I don't get this size versus skill thing. You just need both. It is a skilled league. It's more skilled than ever before. But if... You can also be too late. I think that's why the the Islanders are a tough matchup for them. I mean, they have some big boys. Like you look at like Anders Lee or Brock Nelson. They got some big big bodies there that make it difficult for the Flyers to get to the net. And every time they play them, you know, a goalie like Sorokin or Varlamov looks un- unbeatable because um, they, they have a hard time getting traffic around them. Yeah. Now I think the yeah. goalies are both good, but. I think the Flyers maybe help them look a little bit better because they have a hard time getting to the inside on a team like the New York Islanders. Um, yeah. Eric, Eric says, uh, to me, uh, Tippett is the new Wayne Simmons without fighting. I totally disagree. I think they're very <laughs> different players. First of all, Tippett can skate like the wind. Um, Wayne Simmons was a passable skater in his prime. Let's be honest, and I, I own a Wayne Simmons jersey. He was one of my favorite players for that period. Simmons was never a great five on five guy. No, like he was one of the best net front players in the, in the league for a bit. And he was down damn good down low. And once the the game became more of a cycle game in the offensive zone, he was really, really effective. But I think Tippett can be way more effective in all aspects of the ice, but I do kind of see the comparison a little bit, maybe in terms of where they could fit in the lineup that Tippett could kind of be that staple on a second line that could help you on a power play like Simmons was, but stylistically there are a lot of differences in their game. 
Um, Jay says the Avalanche uh, were the eighth smallest team in the league when they won. Can build teams in different ways. Absolutely. I agree with that, Jay. For sure. But look at the players, their most impactful players. They weren't small. Yeah, they had some small guys there, but Nathan McKinnon is a hoss. Rantanen is a hoss. Like yeah. these, it's not, you can't, I guess you can't just look at it in the sheer, okay, the, the sum of the everything is there a small ish team. You got to look at the key components of the team aren't small ish. You can have some of that, but you can't have, you know, your key components all be that. You have to have some size. And you ha- look, we've all watched the NHL playoffs the last couple of years, and it's not the same game as the regular season. It's a total, it's like a throwback to mid 90s. And, 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 and you got to think- be tough and strong, and you got to have some power. And and I think it's fair to point out that one of the things that they did at the deadline was ex- was address their lack of size because they went out and they got a Josh Manson. They mm-hmm. went out and, you know, the year before they bring in Jack Johnson, who everyone hates, I know, and Eric Johnson, two big guys on the back end. And then, like you said, you look at the, their most impactful forwards during that cup run, Nathan McKinnon, Miko Rontanen, Valeri Nachushkin. They're all monsters and they're all going to be on the ice the most often. So, yeah, if you want to look at their bottom six and you want to look at like their top pairing, yeah, there were probably over half the guys that were under six foot, but a lot of the guys who were playing the most, or let's say in defensive position or in defensive, um, uh, situations like a uh, Josh Manson, and then you look at up front where you have McKinnon and Ronton and Nachushkin so big. Like, I think they're all over six foot two. There was a size aspect to that. And look, I'm not saying that you like, there's not a one size fits all formula, there are many different ways to build a team. But I think one consistency we've seen probably going back to you know, Washington's cup win in 2018 is that you need some size in significant areas of your team. Yeah. Um, and let's um, talk about what's happened yesterday. We'll wrap up on this. Um, what happened in Chicago, a team that, well, I wouldn't want to be a PR person for this team. There's not enough money in the world. Uh, after everything that's gone down the last couple of years, the Kyle beach situation, then all of a sudden the Corey Perry situation happens and, they can't say anything because they have to go through this process. It allows Twitter to be fucking Twitter and just get absolutely out of control. Um, but your thoughts on what's taken place in Chicago the last couple of days and what Kyle Davidson had to say and this whole now ugly situation and it, it's back in the middle of it is bedard by nothing of his own doing. I just spoke about this on TSN radio in Montreal and, and- I don't 